Section 15 of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet. Translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11. The Last Days of a Great Man. Ever since his first attacks of paralysis, Pasteur had retained a certain heaviness in his movements, and while his brain was intact, experiments demanding a supreme manual dexterity had become difficult for him. He was forced regretfully to abandon his labors, still unsatisfied with what he had achieved, and with his imagination still active and dreaming of discoveries that still evaded him. Pasteur continued to follow the experiments of his disciples, which were born of his methods, but what he wanted was the power to push onward by himself to the extreme limits of the new path which his genius had laid open. However, he accepted his destiny without bitterness. He was able to share the delight of Dr. Rue when the latter's labors resulted in the discovery of a vaccine for diphtheria which had previously decimated the lives of children. Then croup was vanquished, just as rabies and anthrax had been before it. Thousands of existences, and those of the most precious sort, for the future of the race slumbered in them, had thus been saved. Dr. Yersin, for his part, discovered the microbe of the plague. While the whole band of workers who had come to be known as Pasteurians, each following his individual aptitudes and tastes, rivaled one another in zealous service of science and humanity. It was at this period of researches and discoveries based on his doctrines and his processes as an experimenter that Louis Pasteur was attacked by the malady from which he was destined to die. On the 1st of November, 1894, he had an attack of uremia, and there followed a long, slow agony lasting for months with alternations of hope and despair. Pasteur endured it with Christian resignation, for science in his case had in no way destroyed faith, and throughout his life he had remained a practical Catholic. His pupils took turns in watching beside him, thus showing that he had not only been able to arouse their scientific enthusiasm, but had also attached them to him by his kindliness and bigness of heart. At the end of December, writes Monsieur Valéry Radeau, we began to have hope. On the 1st of January, after receiving all of his collaborators down to the youngest of the laboratory attendants, Pasteur saw one of his colleagues of the Académie Française enter the room. It was Alexandre Dumas. He had a bouquet of roses with him and was accompanied by one of his daughters. I wanted to begin the year well, he said. I bring you all my best wishes. Ever since they first met, twelve years before, on a certain Thursday at the Académie Française, Alexandre Dumas and Pasteur had felt themselves mutually drawn toward each other. Pasteur, charmed at first by the swift deductions of his brilliant mind, had been surprised, touched, deeply moved by the courtesies and delicate attentions that were prompted by a heart which opened to friendship all the more widely because it opened only in deep earnest. Dumas, who had a wide experience of men, loved and admired Pasteur as a genius without pride and full of kindliness. 
on this New Year's afternoon he fell to chatting with a cordiality that contained something of the unquenchable gaiety of his father. In this little chamber adjoining the laboratory, how remote he was from all the worlds that he had studied, the worlds inhabited by the class of beings he had studied, microbes in human form, as he called them, creatures that were either dangerous, ridiculous, or vile. Occasionally, however, he had shown upon the stage man as he might be and as he ought to be, a Montaignelin, a Claude, poor, well-meaning man, out of place in our times. For back of this dramatic author was a man eager to exert a moral influence, back of the realist a symbolist, back of the satirist a mystic, after having hungered for glory, he placed higher than all else the desire to be useful, and the glance of his blue eyes, ordinarily cold and keen, seeming to penetrate one's most secret thoughts, this glance, always on guard, always ironic, took on an expression of affectionate veneration for him whom he called our dear and great pastor. It is only those who are accustomed to tend the sick can know how much pleasure certain visits give them. That of Alexandre Dumas, Pasteur compared to a ray of sunshine, vie de Pasteur. The illustrious old man still had a few more happy hours before him, but although he was removed to Villeneuve-les-Tangs, the change to the country brought no improvement to his condition which had now become hopeless. Pasteur resigned himself to die, and nevertheless he took great care to hide his sufferings in order to spare the feelings of his family and his disciples. He was not, however, always master of his own emotions. Happening one evening to be alone with his grandchildren, the son and daughter of Monsieur and Madame Valérie Radeau, he took them in his arms and kissed them lingeringly, while heavy tears rolled slowly down the length of his pain-racked face. When the startled children questioned him, the great man answered sorrowfully, I am weeping, my children, because I am so soon to leave you. It was during the afternoon of Wednesday, September 27th, that the curé of Garches was summoned to the side of Pasteur, whose end was felt to be very near. He received extreme unction after having made confession to R. P. Boulanger of the Dominican Order, he died the following morning at twenty minutes to five after a brief agony. It was a universal calamity. Telegrams poured into the Institute, and there is one of them which must be cited in full and which came from the establishment in Berlin directed by Dr. Koch, who had so often had occasion to combat him. Profoundly moved by the loss which is universally felt, and which the Pasteur Institute has just sustained in the person of its gifted founder, the Berlin Institute of Infectious Diseases expresses its heartfelt participation in the general sorrow. The government decided that the obsequies of Louis Pasteur should be national and that the state should bear the expense. They were conducted with full official pomp and before an immense public gathering, on October 5, 1895. The religious ceremony presided over by Monseigneur Richard was conducted at Notre-Dame in the presence of the President of the Republic, Félix Faure, 
the Grand Duke Constantine of Russia, and Prince Nicholas of Greece. At its conclusion, M. Poincaré delivered an admirable address in the name of the government beside the bier where it rested before the threshold of Notre-Dame. Science, he said, will never weary, Monsieur, of admiring in the genius of Pasteur the combined force of a creative imagination and the most rigorous experimental method. He had sudden inspirations which bore him on toward unexpected discoveries. He had instincts of divination which pushed him forward along unexplored paths. He had swift headlong rushes of thought that overleaped and anticipated the establishment of the truth, prepared the way for it, made its attainment more rapid and more sure. But when a scientific problem had taken shape before him, in one of those general flashes of illumination, he never considered it as solved until he had questioned all nature, until he had classified or eliminated all of the facts, until he had forced them, each and every one, to give him an answer. He was careful to guard against any philosophical prejudice that might hamper the sincerity of his observations. The experimental method, he declared in his address at the time of his reception at the Académie, should be detached from all metaphysical speculation, and while claiming for his conscience the right to assert loudly its spiritual and religious convictions, he claimed no less energetically the prerogatives of liberty on behalf of science, and it was really the unrestrained curiosity of his searching mind, spurred on by his inventive powers and seconded by his scrupulous research for objective truths, that guided him through the long and brilliant evolution of his scientific labors. Happy is he, said Pasteur, happy is he, who carries within him his own ideal and lives in obedience to it. Throughout his life, Pasteur himself lived in obedience to the highest and purest of ideals, in science and virtue and charity. All his thoughts and all his actions were illumined by the reflected rays of that inner flame. He owed his greatness to his sensibilities, and posterity will assign him a place in the radiant line of apostles of goodness and of truth. The body of Louis Pasteur was interred in the Institute, and there he lies in the cold and austere crypt, while men of learning, inspired by his genius, continue and carry toward completion his work that was so prolific for the advance of science and for the good of humanity. The illustrious savant was one of the greatest of modern heroes, and we may well conclude with the words of Émile Duclos. There is no other example in science of a savant who has been privileged to see the domain which he discovered expand and bear fruit to such an extent. Perhaps Lavoisier, whose name comes naturally to mind in speaking of Pasteur, might have had the joy of seeing himself equally great if he had been able to keep on to the end of his career. The only exact comparison is that of a Napoleon dying triumphant in the midst of Europe, permanently conquered and pacified. Even that vision, magnificent as it is, is incomplete. Pasteur conquered the world, yet his glory did not cost a single tear. End
End of Section 15. Recording by Pamela Nagami in Encino, California, February 2017. End of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet, translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper.